There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Nikita Ross. Nikita is the founder of Resilient Me, a nonprofit serving children in Arizona's foster care system. We had a great conversation that went from Nikita's personal experiences growing up to the challenges facing the 17,000 children in foster care to how people can get involved, make a difference, and fundamentally how she feels that every child is one caring adult away from success. You can find out more about Nikita at resilientme.org, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. If you'd like to take action on this issue, click contact us in the show notes, and we'll get you what you need to make it happen. Thanks, as always, for listening, and remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Nikita Ross, the founder of Resilient Me. How are Hello, you? Hello, I'm great. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. Santari, here we go. What are your biggest fears, your biggest phobias? My biggest phobias? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm very, very, very afraid of heights. Took okay. a trip to uh, Zion National Park last year and did one of the eight-hour hikes, and it was, like, the most terrifying thing I've ever gone through. It was the worst. Like, don't do that if you're afraid of heights. They tell you that ahead of time, and you're like, no, it'll be fine. It was the absolute worst. So, yeah, heights. Oh, good <laughs> so you hiked? Yeah. And it, it was, like, some of the – there's no railings or anything. It's just, like, straight-down drops. And so if you're not afraid of heights, it's totally fine. But if you're definitely afraid, I was literally, like, just clinging to the side, going up a little bit. How long did it take It you? took us so long. It's supposed to take, like, maybe seven hours. It might have taken us, like, nine to get through it all. It was all because of you? Yeah, it was definitely because of me. We had to stop. My friend Annie was like, it's okay. Come on, come on, like to a child. So heights is the answer to that. Good enough. Yes. Well, for a lot of people, in fact, I think like the majority of Americans, public speaking is like the most terrifying thing in the world. Really? Yes. Okay. Like, like, I think far and away, Mm -hmm. public speaking is up there. And Nikita, you you were one of the... I'm not sure if you won the entire fast pitch last year, but I, I know that you won several awards. I did. How was how was that experience? Several things. It was amazing, and I learned a lot about myself. I had to learn to narrow down what we do as an organization through the process of writing my pitch. I had, it was hard. It's like, okay, what do we do? How do you make that more clear what you do? And then making it to the stage was exciting. And then being on the stage was terrifying because Mm. I'm one of those people who I'm not a fan of public speaking. It's not a debilitating fear, but it's definitely a little scary. But the whole experience was amazing. I got connected to a tremendous amount of people, the networking. I gained like three new board members. Nice. Shout out to Todd Belfer. I got him directly from that experience. It's been, it was awesome. Was that your first time speaking to a crowd that big? Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes. <laughs> you did how, a great job. <laughs> how, how many people are typically in attendance at that uh, event? Between six and 700. Yeah, I think that was a 600 night, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a huge crowd. I didn't understand. I'd never been on stage like that before. I didn't understand that there was this bright light that would be in my face the whole time because it wasn't there during practice. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's like I couldn't focus. So they tell you to focus on different parts of the audience so that you can move around and pass around your attention. I couldn't see anything because there was this giant glaring light in my face. So that was interesting. Right. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to focus uh-huh. on? Yeah. I can't see anything I at all. I couldn't see anything, but just like darkness. Got I it. heard applause and cheers, but right. couldn't see anything. But it was a fantastic experience. I gained some great personal relationships, too, with some of my fellow competitors at Fast Pitch, so it was really good. Nice. Yeah. So can you, don't give the entire pitch, but give a little bit about your story, the background. Okay. Before we do that, yes. how, how do you feel about heights? So here's the thing, and I wanted to share <laughs> heights. I'm terrified of heights. Okay. When I fly, I have to take an anxiety pill. So I have a story. We, t- we went to, my family and I went to Disneyland, and there's the Tower of Terror. You all know that, right? Yeah. And so when we got to that ride, I told my sister, I'm going I'm to stay on the ground. You all go have fun. And my sister said, don't be a wussy. <laughs> and so I can't let my sister right, right. dare me not to go on this ride. And so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I literally cried on the ride. You know how they snap a picture when you're on the ride? Yeah. The picture of me falling. doing like this, crying. <laughs> yeah. So I'm terrified of heights also. Okay, see? Not the only one. <laughs> you're not the only one. It's really bad. Yeah. So I apologize for interrupting. Well, <laughs> no, but just uh, tell, us, tell us the story. So I grew up in foster care. Um, I'm from Chicago. I was in foster care from around seven or eight until I aged out at 18. And when I was 18, I had a baby three days after I graduated from high school and I went to college and mismanaged my funds because I had never had money before. And so I got a refund reimbursement from school and I was like, money, and it was like probably a thousand dollars. But to me at 18 and in 1995, aging myself, that was a tremendous amount of money. And so I purchased things, right? Because I had never been able to buy myself things. So I got the baby in a stroller, just random things, stereo, just stuff I didn't need. Right. But that money was supposed to go towards my rent. And so I didn't pay my rent, and we were evicted. And we ended up homeless. We lived in a shelter, and I couch surfed, which means I became really good at asking people, befriending people so that I can sleep on their sofas. And I did that for a while, and then asked the state to take me back, which you can. You can legally be with the state until you're 21. Mm. And so they did. They helped me get an apartment. I worked um, dead-end jobs for like 10 years. And then said, okay, there has to be something else. And I came here um, for graduate school and worked with youth in foster care here and saw that the problem is not only in Arizona and not only my problem, but it's a problem, it's a systemic problem with the kids in foster care. So when I was working with the youth, I collected data from them and said, hey, you're gonna age out soon, what do you need? And I did that for two years. And based off the data I collected, I developed a program and it's called Resilient Me, and we help them prepare to transition out of foster care. So what we do is one hour interactive workshops. An example would be, I just did a workshop yesterday. Um, We talked about, I had them say, imagine you're 60 or you're 65. We're at your retirement party. Tell me who's there. Where are you retiring from? How long were you in this job? How did you get there? Nothing. These kids could not envision that far in the future. Hmm. I mean, nothing. I said, okay, well, let's back it up a little bit. 30, nothing. Nothing. They could not envision that far in the future because 
it's difficult when you've experienced that trauma to think about, think past that trauma because you're literally surviving. So when you're in survival mode, you can't think and plan for your future. And so we work really hard with them to get them out of survival mode and to planning for their future so they can be successful adults. Okay. How old were those kids? They are, the ages range from 15, nope, sorry, 14 through the oldest one was 17. So 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids. Yes. Like 30. Sorry. Yes. Too far down the road. Yeah. Yes. How sad is that? <clears throat> very, very sad. They should be able to say, I want to do this. Now, the another exercise we did with them is I said, I want you to stand up and tell me who you are. And they stood up and they said, I'm blonde, I'm brunette, I'm white, I'm black, I'm Latino, I'm native. And I said, that's great. Thanks for telling me those things. Now tell me who you are. Nothing. And I said, okay, maybe that's too much. We won't go that far. Tell me what's great about you. Give me three traits that are great about you. Nothing. Nothing. They could name the trauma. This happened to me. This happened to me. I was abused. I was neglected. I overdosed on pills. They could tell me all of that, but they could not think about or focus on or come up with positive traits about themselves. And so we really work with them on that. Because imagine... If no one addresses that, it doesn't magically go away. If you have a difficult time thinking positive thoughts about yourself, once you're an adult, you also have that same problem. And so you're not going to be a healthy adult. And so we try to help them when they're young so that when they age out, they're better prepared. And how many how many kids age out every year, at least in Arizona? So in Arizona, they're roughly, and it keeps changing, probably about 900 to 1,000 kids aging out here and there are currently 17,000 kids in care so that's a very conservative estimate of how many are aging out right yeah the problem is it's difficult to track how many kids are aging out because we lose a lot of kids they leave remember I told you I ended up homeless and I I chose to re-engage but not all youth choose to re-engage a huge proportion of them do not re-engage and so we lose count of how many actually are aging out and so it's difficult to track and have mm-hmm. good solid numbers on that mm-hmm. that's it's obviously really really sad that mm-hmm. you've got these young kids that maybe have never considered or thought about you know who am I really or what are characteristics or qualities that that, that I have that, that 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 are great especially when you have a lot of these kids these days that I think are the opposite their parents tell them they can do anything that they mm-hmm. want. Yeah. You know, a whole generation, right? It's yes. the, the, the opposite. Yes. Are, is trying to find common threads, but it sounds like it's it's white, black, Hispanic. No, there is no, uh, the trauma of foster care does not discriminate whatsoever. Um, it's every ethnicity, every race, every demographic, every uh Gender, it just does not discriminate. One of the things I did notice, or I have noticed, is we lose our males. Um, Meaning, if I start younger, at like middle school, I'll have the even number of girls and boys. By the time they're in high school, it's usually more girls. Mm. I lose my boys. And what do you think? I think it's a couple of things. I think... um, Sometimes it's okay for a buddy to spend a night over a buddy's house and they're there perpetually. It's like, oh, Centauri's gonna sleep over, mom. And she's there. Right. But it's different for girls because we have those needs. We have the monthly needs. You can't just do that. It's, so I think we lose them that way. The girls, uh, 
are typically more engaged because of, I don't want to say higher needs, but just it's different. Um, and then one part is I'm trying to figure out why I don't know if we don't have enough male representation. Mentors, leaders. Yeah, exactly. And you, you hear that uh, exactly. you know, statewide that there exactly. are enough men stepping up, so yep. that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both those things that we're losing. I mean, it, it bothers me. It, the whole system bothers me, um, and it bothers me because I have no idea how to fix it. I know how to work with you to help prepare them to be adults. I don't know how to stop losing my males, mm. and that bothers me. Lose sleep at night trying to figure out how to keep the males because we lose them by the time we hit high school. We've lost a ton of them. It's really, really sad. If uh, from the statistics that, that that I'm familiar with, it seems like if a male is, I don't have a better term for it other than he's at risk. Mm-hmm. It, past junior high, he's probably there's potentially he's, he's going to join some kind of a gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes and no. That depends. Some of them, yes. Some of them are just disengaged. It's not. Some do join a gang, um, longing for that connection, that belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do lose them to gangs as well, but some are just disengaged from the system um, and unfortunately end up homeless and on the streets. But yes, we do lose some of them to gangs. Got it. So foster care, 19,000 kids here here in Arizona. Um, what are the primary reasons that the that, that kids end up in foster care? Oh, so they, they, the number is declining, which is good. So the, the latest numbers are 17,000 um, plus um, from the 19,000 okay. that we were seeing last year. Reasons for foster care are many, 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 many. So a parent could be neglectful, meaning not providing the services that that child needs, not necessarily abusing that child, which is another reason, but neglectful, not neglecting to take care of that child's well-being, neglecting to take them to the doctor, making sure they go to school, just neglecting um, the love and things that that child needs. A parent could be abusive, and I don't have to describe that one. Um, It could be any number of things sometimes um kids leave home and we don't have a full understanding of why they left home because sometimes we can't get in contact with the parents it could be abandonment as well parents can abandon their children there's so many many reasons um one of the huge things uh, that i'm i'm trying to get us to focus on more now is a lot of our kids are um sex trafficked mm. And so when they're taken away, and then when we get them, which are very few, too many kids, um, it's it's sometimes hard to connect them back with their parents. So it's many, many reasons um, kids go into care. Can you talk a little bit about um, kind of the process? So a child is removed from home, or there are interventions to say, hey, say I'm a parent that's on the like watch list. There are interventions that say you are at risk of your child being removed, these are some of the things you can do, or is it just they come to my house and take them? No, it, it, it varies. So if, of course, um, I called on you as your neighbor, and I I saw I, I said, I think Centauri is beating his children, and the police show up, and there are um, bruises on this child, and this child is harmed, that child will be removed immediately. Wow. Okay. So that that's a safety issue, right? So we have to keep that child safe. But in the case of, I say, Centauri has not sent his kids to school in about a week or so. So then what should happen, 
and does happen sometimes is um, someone from DCS or some other social service agency will come out and, and try to provide services for you. So in an ideal world, that's what we want. We want that preventative service. We want to help prepare the parent and give them the resources they need to parent better. Meaning, well, hasn't Centauri's kids gone to school for a week? Oh, Centauri lost his job and he doesn't have bus fare to get the kids or he doesn't have lunch or whatever it is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so in an ideal world, there will be resources given to you as the parent. Um, so that, so that exactly, gotcha. and, and then we don't have it, to, and that child's not taken away. That doesn't always happen, but that's the goal. Gotcha. So, how often do kids go into the foster care system and end up back with their parents? And we were talking a little bit about that right there, but that one I don't have the data for. Um, so. I can tell you this, the state's goal is always reunification, mm -hmm. right? So we always want to, not we as in the state, but as human beings, we always want a child with their parents, if that can happen. Yeah. Um, and so I would say it happens more often than not, depending on the circumstance. Right, right. So let's, those two examples I use, one where he was beating his kid and one where he was, wasn't sending his kids to school, if he was beating his kids and the judge said, you need to, because there's going to be a court hearing as well. It's not just bam, bam, bam. you have to go to court right, 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 right. and have a chance to plead your case. And so the judge says, uh, you need to go to anger classes, anger management classes, I'm sorry, and you need to go to um, parenting classes. And if you meet those criteria the judge set, then there's a chance that you will get your child back. Um, but if you're like, no, I decided to do meth instead. Obviously not. Yeah. Okay. sometimes slips through the cracks and those kids do get returned home and then they get taken again. And is it um, is there data, best practices, psychologists that say reunification is indeed the best? Yes. Because I know there are varying uh -huh. thoughts on uh -huh. reunification is the way to go. So we, we always want to reunify. We as human beings want um, when it's the best for that child, right? So if a parent is not healthy, is not able to stop utilizing drugs, then that's not the best scenario for that child. And so we don't want um, to impose more trauma onto that child by placing them in that situation again. So it, it depends on the situation, the home situation. Okay. Got it. So you mentioned a little bit about having sessions with these kids and trying to help them mm -hmm. develop self-esteem, um, how, how does your program work? How, how do you access these kids? How frequently are the programs? So it's a good question. So word of mouth right now, we are in two, three group homes right now, and I am meeting with a couple additional group homes to try to get in. So it's basically word of mouth. It's me doing a lot of networking. It's people saying, oh, have you heard of Nikita? She does this. So a lot of uh, word of mouth. And once we're in the group home and we talk about this is, here's our curriculum, and I told you I developed the curriculum. It's about 25 modules. Once we um, have an agreement that I'm going to work with the kids, we go over the curriculum and say, are there certain modules you want us to focus on? I'll give you an example. The group home I'm in right now, I had to adjust the curriculum a little bit because this group home had a huge issue with bullying. Mm. 
And we hadn't focused on bullying a lot, and so I had to adjust the curriculum for that group home to discuss bullying and the impacts of bullying with these girls. And it's a girls group home. And so what I do is I go in, it's once a week, and it's an hour long because whose attention span is longer than an hour, right? Not mine. Exactly. And so we do interactive workshops. And as I was saying, it's it's not me talking for an hour. Who wants to listen to me talk for an hour? It's them doing things. So um, the most popular workshop is the scavenger hunt. Okay. And I get them in a group. And it's always a group because they need to learn from each other and support each other as well. Yeah. And so I get them in a group and I say, we have the scavenger hunt. Whoever gets the most items wins, and it's whatever's been donated, a gift card or whatever we have, and that's the focus. And so they go out, and then they come back, and I say, well, who got it? And Satari's like, I got all of them. And I say, well, how did you get number seven? He's like, I couldn't figure out what a, whatever is on that. And, I, and he said, so I had to ask someone. And I said, Centauri, you know what you just <laughs> did? You identified and utilized a resource. Now, let's talk about how you're going to do that when you're out on your own. That's wonderful, yeah. Because no one, and then we talk about how no one survives on their own, you have to ask for help. Another uh, workshop that we do that's pretty, and I, I'm kind of hesitant to talk because I know our program is very unique, um, but I'll share these two. Another uh, workshop that we do is, um, it's an obstacle course. And so we pair them up, and I say, you two are paired, okay? And so I, I whisper in your ear, you're blindfolded, you're not blindfolded. I whisper in your ear, you have to get to the gold star. I whisper in your ear, you have to get Centauri through the obstacle course, but you cannot touch him. And then go. And so everyone goes through and we come back as a group. And I say, all my people whose job it was to get to the gold star, raise your hand if you did. Very, I've done this so many times. Very few have. And I said, well, what happened? And Centauri's like, I was blindfolded. How was I supposed to say gold star? Say, hmm. <laughs> what about your partner? Was your partner blindfolded? Was it possible that your partner could have seen you like, oh? We talk about the importance of communication and asking for help because one of the things is when you're in care and you have that trauma, it's sometimes difficult to ask for help because you have all of these internal emotions. You have like, I feel ashamed or I think people are judging me, and so. We don't always ask for help, and so I talk about and reinforce how important it is to ask for help. And so I say, how was it getting Centauri through the obstacle portion? Like, he didn't listen. I took him to take one step. And so we talk about the importance of not only communicating, but communicating effectively. Because you had to adjust the way you communicate to get him through that. And we talk about how we work together to accomplish our goals. And so that's what the workshops are like, very interactive. That's awesome. I'm sure that that... They probably never had an experience like that. <laughs> they have not. They have not. They enjoy it. We get really good reviews on the workshops. I, yeah. And when I share my story and say, I'm not um, here as some outsider. I completely understand what you're going through. Um, so that that resonates with them. So Tuesday, I told you I had a class last night. I was with, uh, I have them pull these cards to talk about their feelings. And one person said, I'm feeling sad. And we talk about it a little bit. And she said, I said, well, why are you feeling sad? And she said, well, this is the anniversary when my mom died. And it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And, and so she talked. And I, and I thanked her. And I said, thank you for sharing. I know that wasn't easy. And so I shared my story. I said, my mom was um, murdered when I was younger. And so I, I totally understand exactly when I was your age is when my mom died also. And so 
that helps. She's like, I didn't know that. And so for me to say, I understand, I literally understand what you're going through. It it helps me connect with them. So being part of the in-group. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. No kidding. Yeah. Perspective is one of those things that's so incredibly valuable but difficult to get. It is. A lot of the time. So I'm sure that they're a lot more comfortable speaking with you. Yes, sometimes. It takes a little bit of, they still, yeah. Yeah, I still have to earn their trust. But yeah. Um, so the the foster care system just globally or statewide here here in Arizona, do you have a sense of how many folks actually like how many people work for the government or oh, in this? No. No. Is it like a thousand or ten thousand? No, it wouldn't be ten thousand. I would so okay. So there's uh, DCS and there's so many different levels um and it depends on what you mean because there's also other agencies private agencies that work with dcs so within the state mm, i would guess a thousand okay as a guess that's my best guess do you think that as a state do you think that we are on the right track of doing right by these kids i mean it's obviously a very population but are the right people at the table and are we headed in the right direction of getting these kids the services that they need? I think there is a lot of work to be done and that can be done um, from individuals who are on the ground level, Mm -hmm. down in the trenches and understands what this population needs. I think that we are trying to make progress and there has been some progress, but there is a tremendous amount of progress that needs to be made. That's fair. Okay. If you had a magic wand and you were in a way that how, I mean, is there a way to actually solve this? Or That's such a good question. I, I actually struggle with that question a lot. Um, I don't know that there is a way to solve it. Even if we gave parents, I think there's a way to drastically decrease it, mm-hmm. right? Even if we gave parents, and, and, and we need to give parents all the resources they need before the kids are removed from the home. And now that'd be the last, absolute last step. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we still have parents who uh, uh, struggle with severe mental illness and may not be in a healthy place where they can raise their children right. to no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. And so there will still be a need for um, services from the state to provide foster mm-hmm. care. I think we can drastically decrease it, but I don't know that it's realistic to think that we can um, completely do away with it. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, 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 I hear that there's like been an um, kind of ebb and flow number of kids because of how strict DCS or whatever the body has been, DCS has been on when they take kids out. So they were either too lenient on standards or they're too hard and they're like, one strike, kids are out of the house, we put them in foster care. So we're in a flux at Mm -hmm. any given time. There, there is depending on leadership and, and, and the policies in place, there is uh, some ebb and flow to use Mm -hmm. your words and how the criteria for how and when kids are taken out of the home that does um, change depending on who's who's there. Wow. Yes. Yes. It should be standard. Um, There's also human discretion, right? And so as a 
let's say I was an investigator and I went out to the home and I had never been inside of a, a home where um, the culture is, uh, they're native. And, and there are cultural things there, but I have no idea those cultural things. And so they're doing things and I'm thinking, oh, that's horrible, but it may not necessarily be. Does that make sense? Right. So it's an example weird. of that would be um, growing up, we got spanked, right? I did. Um, and everyone I knew in my area in the south side of Chicago, that was a norm. So that was a culture for us. But if someone from the north side of Chicago came and to investigate, they would say, oh, my goodness, you are abusing this child. And so there's a human component, too, in um, being removed from the ch- – there, there needs to be lots of training on cu- culture and diversity as so well. So the cultural competency exactly. needs to be oh, I wouldn't exactly. never have thought about that. So White Sox fans a lot tougher <laughs> than uh, than the Cubs fans because they got spanked growing up. That's probably in really poor taste for me to make a joke about that. I certainly got spanked too. So Tara, did you get spanked? Oh yeah, and if my mom's watching, she's you know. Yeah. I'm still afraid of my mom, so she did right. She did right. Yeah. I'm seeing a picture of your mom, and she looks really sweet. Oh, that's misleading. She looks like <laughs> very. And here comes a hit to that. <laughs> Mrs. Meyer, would, would, would you like me to smack your son? She's on Facebook Live saying yes. yes. <laughs> smack him right now. It's pretty funny. You, uh, you, you mentioned that, and I think fundamentally, this is such a big thing that for to, 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 to legislate and solve yes. problems, absolutely impossible. It needs to start at the local level. Mm-hmm. And the, the things that we have control over, for example, the work that you're, you and your organization are doing, um, if we all just worried about making sure that our own rooms were clean or, or we, we tended to our own gardens, I think that, that, that we'd probably live in a, a, a better world. I like that. I like that a lot. I agree with that. Yes. I, I just heard that pretty recently. It's like, it was a podcast. The guy was like, is your room clean? So if your room is not clean, yes. you know, you're, you need to focus on the stuff you have control over. Yes. Enough. Yeah. Yes. And not not to be churchy, but there's a biblical scripture um, that says, and that's where all your people who watch you are in church, it says that before you worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye, get the plank out of your eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. If we we did that, um, if we were a little less judgmental and worried about ourselves and healing ourselves, and not being so with, if I'm Centauri's neighbor again, to use that example, and Centauri's yelling at his kids instead of like immediately calling saying, hey, what's going on? I've noticed you've been working a lot or what's going on? And he's like, oh, I've been laid off. And it's like, oh my goodness, you need a break? Send the kids over. And if we helped each other more and, right. and just were not so quick to judge and, and, and not clean our own rooms, I agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm certainly frustrated by, by just pop open facebook or twitter or whatever and people are talking about such crap that is so unimportant yes. when there's such more important issues that we should be really dealing with like this like 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 kids yes so i don't know if that's irritating to you so enough, but. here's the thing it doesn't necessarily <laughs> irritate me um sometimes the world can be so overwhelming so just Stressful that sometimes we need an escape, and so sometimes, sometimes that's what that puppy video is for. Yes, and so it does not, (laughs) it does not frustrate me um, to see it sometimes because sometimes we need a little break. 
Can you? And it's healthy to have a break. No doubt. Can you share uh, maybe a success story of, or something about a, a kiddo that was in your care or in your program that said, you know, because of Resilient Me, these things are happening to me now, yes. or something that you know, an anecdote would be great. Yes. So I finished up a uh, workshop with uh, Arizona's Children's Association about a month or so ago. And when we first started, I had um, this one male, and I said, we start with, let's talk about goals. And remember I told you that, where do you see yourself? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So we go through, we talk about what's great about you, we do all that, we layer it, right? So I'm slowly just giving them all of these nuggets, but they don't realize it. So I'm giving them all these nuggets. And then second to last class, he said, you know what? I think I want to enroll in trade school and be a mechanic. Like he had nothing, zero, zero idea of what he wanted to do. And he said, I think I'm going to do that. And I said, tell me more. And so... That was the second to last, and by the last class, he had already gone to the school and checked it out. It's the RSI school, some school that's here in the Valley. He had gone and checked it out, and so I'm so excited. And then um, I followed up with his caseworker about him. And so it was two months ago that we did it, so about a month, a couple weeks ago, and she said that he is going to start in the fall. That is so cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. yeah, so it's really exciting. It's one of the greatest little phrases, TMM, tell me more. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is. It gets the kids thinking. It really, truly does. One of the things um, that this current group I'm working with, they have a hard time talking about um, their emotions, right? That's hard for most of us, and especially if, if you've had a traumatic life. And so I have them do the thing to say they have to finish sentences. And so it says, my life is, my family is and on and on and so she said my life is surrounded by chocolate and everything was a snicker or chocolate and I said huh let's talk about that why did you choose candy <laughs> I knew why she chose it because she wanted to keep things surface and I said why did you choose candy because I love it and I said okay well if you were to tell me one of the questions was who do you admire and I said if you were to answer that one she said I admire I admire Snickers bar and I said if you were to answer that question and food is not allowed who would it be and she named a performer. I don't know who she is. And I said, okay, why do you like her? And she said, because she also likes Snickers. I said, okay, why else? And so by the time she finished, she said, because she doesn't judge and she's open. And it just went to that. That was my version of tell me more. Mm -hmm. And so it was so good to hear her open up and say that she admires someone who doesn't judge and who's open and honest and helpful. So it was really good. It's Working with those kids is amazing. It's so, I don't want to say rewarding because that sounds corny. It's eye-opening and grounding to remember that's where I came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole perspective thing again. Yeah. So easy to forget. It is. It is. We it just really have to really and not that you Not that we forget, just we need to remind ourselves. Yes. Correct. Yes. So your experience, you just decided, you know what? I'm passionate about this. I'm, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to become an entrepreneur, so to speak, right? A nonprofit it, entrepreneur. It's definitely an entrepreneur. I'm definitely an entrepreneur, yes. And how has that been? Um, okay, so it's been less than a year that I've been officially an entrepreneur because up until October, I was working my full-time job and doing resilient on the side and then fast-pitch open doors so where I could do it full-time. And so I started in October full-time. And it's scary as sugar honey iced tea. <laughs> because there's not this uh, guaranteed paycheck, right? There's not. I have to constantly, um, I'm trying to say it politely, 
hustle to make sure that money's coming in. If I'm not hustling, I'm not eating. Like, literally not eating. <laughs> and so I have no intentions on ever being homeless again. And so it, it encourages me to always be uh, working hard, always be focused on what's next and my future. So it's, but it's also exciting and rewarding, right? Because I make, it's, I, I don't really have a boss. The board is my boss, but I love them, they love me. So it's, I don't have that boss who's micromanaging saying, where are these reports? It's more of a team with the board. Um, it's, it's more flexibility with my schedule. It's, it's so it's, it's exciting, but it's also very, very scary. So full-time since October, right? Mm-hmm. So what's that, what, a little bit over six months on the, yeah. on the job. So uh-huh. like, that's uh-huh. awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Six months. Yeah. So what's been the most, outside? I guess every entrepreneur is going to say money, but outside of raising money, what's been the most challenging and what's been the most rewarding? What's been the most challenging outside of money? is growing my board, maintaining the board. Um, it's it's a new arena for me, right? Because I'm first generation everything, right? I'm first generation entrepreneurial squirrel, so I can't say to my dad or my mom or anyone, hey, is this part normal? Um, and so I, developing the board and, and maintaining the board has been a learning curve for me, a huge learning curve. Um, that's been challenging. The most rewarding has been the support. and I. I don't know. I don't have the words. I'm serious. Like I had, um, I work with Nancy Grace a lot. You know Nancy, and she said you do a good job of thanking people for supporting you, but you need to acknowledge that you've also gotten yourself here. But I know that without that support, I don't. I don't think I would have. I would not have. I needed that support, and I have it. Um, and so that's been the most rewarding part. People believing in me. People are joining the board because they say. We believe in your vision. That's kind of heavy, right? To have it on your shoulders. So that's that's pretty rewarding, but pretty, um, what's the word? Like, I have this huge responsibility on me. Do you feel like a lot of the stuff that you teach in your program you can use as, a, as an entrepreneur? So you can see the, the pieces that you preach, do you practice them? I do, I do. Uh, I teach them how to build their support because that's huge. I teach them how to laugh at themselves. So when I try, <laughs> these grand marketing schemes and they flop, I have to say, oh, well, that sucked and keep going. I can't get stuck in that. Stuck in that. And so, yes, I do utilize those same That's skills. Great. That's great. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That is the truth. I mean, anytime you're in some kind of an entrepreneurial endeavor, you're probably going to have a lot more failures than you're going to have successes. <laughs> yes. Learning to deal with the no's. Yes, um, lots of no's. Lots of, that was, that was huge. People said that right there, like, you're going to hear no's. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll hear a few no's. No. You hear a tremendous amount of no's. Especially when you're fundraising. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right? And um, some of the things I learned is that when I'm hearing the no's, it's like, okay, um, just keep going. And sometimes those no's actually turn into no for me, but here's another option. Or no for now. Or no for now. Exactly. And so not to take those no's personally was huge for me. I was like, what did I do wrong? Why don't they like me? Why didn't they give me money? Why didn't they volunteer? And I had to learn not to internalize those no's and say, it's okay. That person said no, thank them, and then keep going. And so it's, I've been learning a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm sure I have a tremendous amount to learn even still. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people say, I celebrate the no's. And I think that that is... (laughs) 
What was that term that you used a minute ago? Lemonade or something? Sugar honey iced tea. I love that, by the way. <laughs> that is a bunch of sugar honey iced tea. At least, at least from my perspective. Uh, I agree. I agree with that statement. Celebrating so, those is, is, I don't, I don't know if that's, mm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. <laughs> I don't understand the benefit of celebrating those. It's okay to not let the no completely devastate you, but I think, so it's two ends of the spectrum. You don't need to let it devastate you, but celebrating it, it's not. Yeah. You need to be in that middle somewhere. Life is about moderation. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> I think the idea behind celebrating is you're getting closer to the yes. So if it takes me 10 no's to get to a yes, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna convert 10 op- uh, 10% of the opportunities and for the no, I, I know that I'm that much closer. So. Okay, that's not a bad perspective. Yep, so anyway. So you are you are developing a really, really strong board. Um, you need money, obviously, but what, what are things that, that, that you definitely feel like, like, like you need more of? Opportunities to, to share your message? I love your questions. So what I need more of is access to you. Mm. Um, the summer will be slow for us. Um, I'll be spending the summer working on getting more group homes in the fall. But I, I, we're not at capacity, we're not even close to capacity of what we can um, manage for you. And so I need, um, as an organization, we need access to additional youth. What is capacity for you? Capa- okay, so capacity for me as an individual, I can do uh, four, eight, about eight workshops a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing about three. Okay. Got it. Okay. Um, Okay, access to youth. Yes, which if you know how, how to do that, you'll be my best friend, and I will send you chocolate. <laughs> nice. And then I'll share. Tell that the, to those folks. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll share my Snickers bars with your young friend. So okay, so when you say if I know how to do that, give give, give me an example of of what that would what, be. What are the um, obstacles? Yes. So the obstacles are, kids are constantly moved. Constantly is probably uh, an exaggeration. Kids are moved frequently um, from place to place for various reasons. Back at home with mom, not compatible with this group home, they're moved. Um, But there are several group homes, and because I don't work for the state, I don't have a list of those group homes. And you don't have access. And And I do not have, exactly. And it's a protected population. And so I can't just say, hey, give me a list of all the group homes in Arizona and we'll go and provide services. It's been mainly, as I say, word of mouth. Someone said, oh, I know the manager of this group home. And and Hmm. it's been that way. Yeah. Interesting. Don't, wouldn't a group home have to register with some kind of a tax ID number? So the state has all of the... The state has the public just doesn't. Right, it's not public knowledge, and it shouldn't be. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Got yeah. It. So it's not that it doesn't exist; it exists. Yeah. Yes. It's just secret information, which 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 it definitely should be. Okay. Um, that being said, what is the size audience that you would like to have, so you're not presenting and taking up your entire evening or your entire morning speaking to kids? Oh yes, thank you. So average class size that's great is about 20. Okay. 20 kids per session, per one hour mm-hmm. session. Okay. So eight, sure, eight workshops a week, 20 in each of those workshops. Got it, okay. But that's not, um, 
uh, necessarily realistic because each group home has probably eight to ten kids. Mm, okay. um, and so that would be a host of group homes. Um, so now the group home I'm in, they've combined three group homes um, to come to the sessions. And I have probably 15 girls out of the three group homes. So Because it, in the group homes, the ages vary, right? The skill level varies. The mental health varies. And so just because there are maybe 10 in each home for a total of 30 girls, half of those may be under the age of 12. Does that make sense? Right. So they're not all. Mm-hmm. So if... Group homes are eight to ten folks, and obviously, not all the kids, all the seventeen thousand are in group homes. Where are they? In, in Most of them are in group homes. We don't really? have enough foster parents. We do not have enough kid, uh, adults. I'm just shocked that there are that many physical group homes to accommodate that many yeah. kids. Wow. Yeah. There's also, I'm sorry. There's also um, what's called kinship care. So, um, like you would stay with your aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kinship care as well. But we do not have nearly enough homes, um, single parent, same-sex parent, whatever. Uh, we don't have enough homes. For the kiddos. Yeah. Gotcha. So people that are, are, are listening or people who are, are concerned about this, what, what can they do? Lots of things. So there is a expression that I love um, that... I have on my Facebook page, every child is one caring adult away from success. So one of the things would be just investing in a child. And that doesn't mean financially. That means saying, hey, how are you? Talking to that kid, giving that kid time, letting that kid know that someone outside of their immediate world cares about them. Um, So volunteering, of course, donating to organizations, not only Resilient Me, but organizations that work with these youth. Um, And being good neighbors. So if there's a family who is having a hard time, see how you can help out. Mm -hmm. If you can help out Mm -hmm. anyway, to try to help that family, being good neighbors. Mm -hmm. I know that, uh, okay. And if they go to your website, they can find out more information about Yes, so we do a lot of our posting on our Facebook page, okay. which is Facebook, of course, uh, Resilient Me Corp, because there is another agency that calls themselves Resilient Me. So it's Resilient Me Corp. We post a lot of our information on there, but we do have a website. Um, it's resilientme.org, and uh, we're on Twitter as well, so we tweet. You can follow us on any of the social media. Um, anyone who wants to donate can donate on the from our website securely. Yes. Got it. So the idea is to get to these kids before they age out and give them the tools Prevention. that they need. Prevention is very, very, very vital. What happens without prevention is our kids end up homeless, and we know that costs taxpayers. Our kids end up incarcerated. We know that costs our taxpayers. Um, our kids end up young parents, as I was. And what happens when you're a young parent and you don't have an education, you don't have a job, you get on public assistance, cost taxpayers. So if we can work with them early on and prevent that from happening, then it works for everyone. These kids are contributing members of society, and it takes um, some of the burden off the taxpayers. Wow, so. okay. It's a good case for support. Thank you. All positive things. 
Well, as our time is drawing to a close, Centauri, what have we what have we forgotten to talk about? Answered all my questions. Great work. Good job. Thank you. Nikita, thank you so much for your time. Thank Clo you for Closing thoughts. Me. Anything else you'd like to share? I think I want to take a moment to say how awesome Centauri is. Oh, awesome. This is fun. <laughs> so Centauri has always, always been open to help me. I've said, Centauri, I'm stuck on this. I'm stuck on this. And he's like, let's meet. Let's meet. Let's meet. And I just wanted to tell you thank you for that. Thank you. It. That's really awesome. I really You're appreciate very welcome. it. Yeah. And thank you for having me on, on the show. I appreciate it. Awesome to have you. Um, so, excellent. You know, kind of threw me for a loop, Centauri. It's, it's, <laughs> I know. It turns out I am a nice person. <laughs> I didn't. Weird. I don't remember saying the word nice. <laughs> That's no, true. I, 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 I jumped to conclusions that. on that one. Sorry. <laughs> I, can re I can rewind this. Helpful. I, I think that you said that. Um, so nice. Anyway, thank you again so much. Thank you. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Send us a review, or rather, write us a review, or you, you could send it to us. Tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.